Welcome to Becoming Like Jesus, a podcast from Pure Heart Church, where we explore what it means to become like Jesus through the messy, imperfect stories of real life and real people. My name is Chantel Hinnon, and I'm so happy to be here with you today. A quick shout out to Real Face Music. The music you're hearing in the background is from Andrew's latest album, Sacred Order. Be sure to check it out wherever you listen to music. Today on the podcast, we have Jeremy Williamson. He is a pastoral counselor with Restoration counseling out of Colorado. And Jamie's just a really cool guy. I connected with him through a webinar series that I followed. And I just was really struck by the way that he engages with people in conversation that he disagrees with and how he shows up and brings the love of Jesus, even when he's disagreeing um, with people about how they maybe interpret faith or how they walk with Jesus and whatever that looks like. So you're going to hear a lot of that today. He just kind of pastors us and teaches us how to walk alongside others on this journey of faith and how to even process through our own questions and doubts with faith. And I just think you'll be really encouraged by this conversation. Let's get started. I am here with Jeremy Williamson. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here. Um, would you go ahead and get us started by just telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. First off, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, you said it, my name is Jeremy Williamson, and I get to wear a couple of hats in my life as far as what I do. Um, I am a spiritual pastoral counselor with an organization called Restoration Counseling, which is out of Northern Colorado. I also work with an organization that does relief and development. So I'm involved in disaster relief uh, internationally. I'm involved in relief and development through local churches all over the world. Uh, working with pastors and empowering people to make sustainable developments in their communities. So basically I get to do a lot of pretty fun, amazing stuff. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, like I said, thank you so much for being here. I kind of stumbled across you and and got to hear a little bit from you. I watched a a webinar that your um, organization kind of hosted and it really just the way that you approached the conversation, it was was titled something like a conversation between a pastor and an ex-evangelical, which would be maybe somebody who's walked away from the church or something like that. And the way that you approached that conversation was just so much grace um, and honor and the way you just honored um, her experience just really struck me. And I, I wanted to just invite you to come and have a conversation, hear a little bit of your story, um, and kind of have you pastor us a little bit this morning, if that's all right with you. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. And thanks for tuning in to that podcast. I think that was a, it was just a precious opportunity to be able to spend some time with someone who doesn't believe the same things that I do. And, and honestly, someone who had had um, at a few different points in her life, a, a difficult experience with the church. And so it's good to be there. I'm glad you, glad you were part of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, it's a good skill to have in such a, um, I think model being able to model the love of Jesus in such a tangible way to be able to agree, uh, spend time with somebody who we maybe disagree with. Um, sure. We all need that skill. We all need to grow in that skill, especially as we're headed into like an election cycle, all kinds of different things are coming up. There's lots of mm-hmm. areas where we could disagree with people. Preach. And so <laughs> learning how to learning how to love and to enter those conversations is good. And we're, we'll jump in a little bit to that a little later, but okay. I just want to start off by hearing a little bit of your story. So how did kind of you come to know Jesus? How, what is a little bit of your story in that way, Jeremy? You know, when I think of the the night that I I gave my life to the Lord, um, it stirs just all of these pretty powerful emotions inside my heart. It was, I was like six years old 
And uh, I remember this was back like in the late 80s. And I, I remember there was an evangelist that was at our church, a pretty well-known guy. And a kind of a Christian band had come along as well. And I remember at the end of his sermon, um, my heart was beating like a million miles an hour. And I had grown up in church. I was, uh, you know, I'd done the Sunday school thing. I had probably even like, quote unquote, asked Jesus into my heart, you know, before that point. But that night, you know, when I think about it, I think of the phrase that someone coined a long time ago that I was, I was seized by the power of a great affection. And um, it's hard to explain what was going on in my heart, in my body. I went down to the front and prayed and with all of my heart, with all my guts, um, gave my life over to the Lord. And from that point, you know, not necessarily a a perfectly straight trajectory toward becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ, uh, definitely not, but I really meant meant that and and um, got baptized as soon as possible right after that. And, um, you know, my sort of call to ministry, vocational ministry became apparent. I, I like right away started bringing my Bible to school, telling my friends about Jesus, leading them in like 10 minute long sinners prayers on the, on the playground. Uh, so that's, that's where it all started for me though. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing it. That, that's so fun to see uh, that kind of call to ministry at such a such a young age. I'm sure that's fun. How has that evolved over time? How did uh, ministry kind of unfold for you? Yeah, you know, I, I was caught, and I, I want to say this, maybe this will be helpful for people who are sort of in that space of wondering whether they're called to ministry and what that's like. You know, I think that there is... Um, there has been, at least when I was growing up and definitely in my generation, there was almost this pressure to identify your call. So what are you? Are you a missionary? Are you an evangelist? Are you a pastor? Are you, what are you? Um, and uh, and so I think I had kind of identified, maybe I'll be like a missionary evangelist. That That is the best thing that I could come up with. And the reality though, um, is that I have, Um, at least on the ministry side, you know, I have pastored a church. I've been a youth pastor. I've been every position. I've been janitor. I've done everything within like a local church in the United States. I've served in missions, everything from running around barefoot with kids in Central America and telling them about Jesus to, you know, living in East Africa and working with um, a community-based organization for women who are HIV positive. Um, So my ministry call really... I think it has less to do with a position that I am called to fill and more to do with the way that grace and the way that the love of God flows through my life, the way that the truth of God flows through me. And so it's taken me a long time to figure that out, to be honest. And I wrestled, I probably spent way more time and with anxiety and, and tears than I needed to just with disappointment that my, my call quote unquote, wasn't turning out the way that I thought it should. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm just, gosh, I just so love the way that I get to express um, Jesus to people that I know. So as far as ministry, that's it's kind of been weird the way that it's evolved, but I'm excited to be where I am today. I love the way that you shared that, Jeremy, because I think so often in our culture, call is automatically associated with vocation. So it must be like 
my calling automatically means what I will do for my job, how I will get a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so often that's just not the case. And it, and it kind of minimizes uh, God's ability to work through us. I think, you know, when I, when I recognize the gifts that I have, then that's just true about me as a person, no matter where I go and no yeah, matter what I'm so doing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to do with the fact that I, ha- I work at a church or that I work, you know, um, do mission work. It, 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 no matter where I am, I get to um, bring the love of Jesus with me. So I love that you shared that. And it's something that's hard to to navigate because we definitely have a position for a season, you know? Uh-huh. That's right. So the name of the podcast is Becoming Like Jesus. And so we, we want to hear people's stories, but so often in, you know, uh, our culture and Christian kind of subculture, we talk about stories and we talk about testimonies and it's focused so much on, you know, what God has brought us from, which I think is so important. But sometimes we miss what God is doing right now. And I think so much this, this idea of sharing our testimony is the work that God is doing in our lives today. And so I would just love to hear a little bit about how you see, even in maybe the last six months, how you are growing more like Jesus? I love it. That's such a good question. And you know, which who among us could say that their walk with Jesus has not been affected somehow, you know, by this pandemic and by the situation that we've been in. And not just the pandemic, there's so much happening. I mean, just yesterday, I grew up in Oregon and just yesterday I got word that the house I grew up in, the forest I grew up in is gone. Uh, it's just all burned down and I've so many memories, so many even uh, ways that I, I learned to walk with Jesus was just me walking all around in the in the forest next to my home in Oregon. But so it's we've all been put to the test, and we've all been put into situations that we've never been in before. And so for me, I think you know what I'm noticing about myself is an increase in trust and in stillness. I find myself uh, more than other seasons of my life just learning to find rest in the goodness of Jesus, because there is Mm. so much that is outside of my control. There's so much that's happening and there's nothing I can do about it. There are so many reasons to be divided and stressed out. And, you know, just at the end of myself. And I think when I allow myself to do, I think two things, one is to just find rest in the goodness of Jesus and rest in my trust of him and the fact that he's got me. And I think on the other side of that is to take joy, like small joy in the things that I can control, in the small things that I can do. And, um, you know, I think when we're talking about becoming like Jesus, I realized in the middle of the storm that is all around me, I may not be able to have a major effect on on what. The, is happening in the world. But what I can do is have a major effect on the way that my family experiences it, mm-hmm. the way that the people around me experience the love of God and the tenderness of God. Um, as a counselor, I am working with just a huge number of people who are desperate for stillness and they're desperate for um, just some sort of a peace. And so I know that I can bring that into into the, at least the circle that it goes for that I live in. And so I, I've grown in that way, I think, just in trusting God and, he, and being a, kind of a source of peace and of stillness for the people around me. 
Yeah, I totally can understand that. I think that stillness and this idea of silence has been something that's been so profound for me over the last uh, couple of years, but it's also been really, really hard for me. Um, I would love to just hear kind of what that has looked like for you, especially in, in, in the sense that this season has been probably one of the loudest and noisiest in some ways, because there's so many things happening. Uh, what does it look like for you just like on a Tuesday? You know, you wake up and it, what does it look like for you to, to find that stillness and to rest and trust? Just kind of some practical things maybe, because um, I know that for me, it took a long time to, to figure that out. Mm, that's and so I'm good. Still figuring it yeah. out. So, and I mean, it's been thrown off. You know, I used to have this habit of going to um, like a monastery uh, or like a you know Christian retreat center, but typically like a monastery for a silent retreat, uh, yeah. often. Um, or I would I would know that I had like a fourteen hour flight from Dallas to Hong Kong or something mm-hmm. to just to have like these it's mm-hmm. like intentional retreat moments, but that's impossible right now. And so you know, even this morning. Um, I got outside on my back patio and, and watched the sunrise and it was beautiful. It was uh, mm-hmm. pink and gold. And I just sat for a moment in awe of who God is. And I'm finding in this season of my life that worship is, is incredibly centering and settling for my soul. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard someone say recently that if you have 10 minutes to pray, spend eight minutes worshiping the Lord and two minutes presenting your needs to him. Because in that, in that moment of just being in awe, like me this morning with my cup of coffee and the sunrise, um, just glorifying God and expressing my love for him set so much right in my heart. It created, it just positioned my, my heart and my priorities and my anxiety, positioned it right before the King of Kings. And, uh, and that, that seems to just really help me find rest and ease throughout my day. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So how has your, your faith kind of changed over time? Would you say? How much time do we have? Um, (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. If you're listening to this, yeah, I I won't talk forever about this, but, um, I do want to say that if your faith doesn't change over time, then you may want to consider whether your faith might be dead. Mm. And that's uh, harsh perhaps, but faith is living and it shifts. You know, I, like I said, I grew up in church and I grew up in a a Pentecostal, uh, pretty charismatic, um, but very kind of not super strict, but, but quite like strict. And, And I think that there were a lot of things that I grew up feeling like were absolutes and thinking that this is always the way that God will behave. Mm-hmm. And this is always true. If if like X plus Y or A plus B always equals C, I guess is the best way to say that. And, um, and then as I grew up and I experienced things like my parents' divorce or uh, like an 8.0 earthquake in El Salvador. And I was 18 years old and saw loads of death and destruction for the first time and watched you know, people's faith around me fall apart and see people leave the mission field. And um, as my first few encounters with trauma and with difficulty, I think brought my faith to a place where I realized that that not always does A plus B equals C. And so, 
you know, some people, a good friend of mine and, and, a, and a great author will, will say um, that that is where you hit a phase in your faith called the wall in your spiritual mm-hmm. development. And it is, um, many people would use a term like faith deconstruction to where there are pieces of what you believe about God and the Bible and yourself that, that need to be reshaped and reformed. And some of that includes no longer believing things that you previously believed were true. That's a scary thing to say in a yeah. faith context. Like I'm sure lots of people's antennas just went up when I said no longer <laughs> believing things that you used to believe. Now we're not talking about whether Jesus is Lord or whether the Bible is true. We're not saying any of that, but the, my expected experience, the, the experience with God that I would anticipate having mm. um, necessarily shifts as I grow. And so I've realized that God is much more compassionate to people than I thought he was. I've realized that people who are wrestling with sin, people who are wrestling with darkness in their lives are the recipients of the generosity and the love and the pursuit of God just as much as I am. Um, I've realized that death and pain and sorrow exist on planet earth and that um, our world is very broken. I've realized so much, but I would just say that um, probably the most important thing that I have learned is that Jesus loves me Mm. and he always loves me and he always has, and he's always pursued me and he's always been after my heart. And he, and he also feels that way about every single person on planet earth. I'm embarrassed to say, I don't know that I always believed that. Like I have this memory when I was a kid. um, And I, like I said, I grew up in church. And so the, the tradition that I grew up in believed that Jesus would return before the tribulation. And so we were always kind of on edge uh, wondering when the rapture was going to happen. Right. And, and many of you listening to this believe that, and, and it's a lot of Christians believe that. And I'm not here to talk about whether or not that's true. I'm just telling a story. So anyways, I was, um, I lived in the forest when I was growing up and there was a highway and these big log trucks in Oregon would go down any, any time of day or night. And so I remember laying in bed and just consistently feeling guilty about my life and my sin or whatever. And every now and then in the middle of the night, a truck would like let out its air brakes and it would go like, right. As it was driving down the road. Yeah. And more than once I would like jolt out from a dead sleep and be like, Oh dear Jesus, please forgive my sin in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. And, and, and my whole thing was thinking that noise woke me up. I thought it was the trumpet sounding and I thought Jesus was coming back and it was the rapture. And I thought Jesus is leaving me behind because he's mad at me and he doesn't love me. And, and I, I better hurry up and ask for forgiveness. Otherwise I'm in big trouble. And um, that, you know, that I think was just the perfect description of like, I spent so much time thinking that the wrestle that I had with sin, it is sin and it does separate us from God. But I think my, my understanding and the way that I thought about it was that God was so disappointed in me and so angry with me and, and, and probably preferred not to talk to me um, Mm. unless, uh, you know, um, unless I changed my ways. And so, yeah, my, Long story short, there's there's a million ways in which my faith has grown and shifted. Um, and I'm so glad for that. It's still growing and shifting today, for sure. 
Absolutely. And that is, I, I love, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that deconstruction is a really scary word. And when we start to, when we start to say things like, like you mentioned, like not understanding God in the same way we used to, people's antennas do go up, but I feel like you shared that in a really healthy way and just uh, helping us understand like the, the view of God that you just described that you were experiencing as a kid um, is obviously very different than the view of God that you have now. And that doesn't mean God's changed, but your understanding of him has over time. And that's such a healthy, um, true thing. I, I found Jesus at a young age and I hope that my understanding of God is, is not the same as it was when I was eight years old. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we want it to grow as we, as we grow and mature and we understand the richness of, um, of God and realize that we don't understand too, you know, mm-hmm. in the process. I think that's been a huge part of it is embracing the, some of the parts of God that are a mystery to us. Some of the ways in which God has, I believe intentionally chosen not to define himself for us. So we can be great students of the word and we can be great theologians. And at the end of the day, even the greatest theologian will say that there are some aspects of God and his character and his, how he is with us that are mysterious and learning to sit in the comfort and attention of that, I think is really important. Yeah. And as we, we think about that, I think that so many people are on different different um, parts of their journey with understanding who God is. Like you even mentioned, you know, people who are, you know, caught in the midst of um, of sin and, and, and maybe we would often categorize them as kind of out, like they're not uh, pursuing God. And I would just love to hear as we, we look around us and we see lots of people that are all on a journey, um, how do we begin to help be, be good fellow travelers, I suppose, you know, uh, how do we journey with people, um, as they, you know, hopefully we're moving towards God, even when we maybe disagree with them. That's really good. Um, you know, I think it's important that we acknowledge the fact that much of what we consider to be normative in Christianity and normative, uh, faith experience is, it has been shaped by the last hundred years or so of American culture. And, and I think it's just important to recognize that, that much of what we just even unconsciously just consider to be the way that a Christian should behave or what the spiritual formation of a follower of Jesus should look like, what pattern it should follow, that has been shaped by our culture. And I, I've been blessed to, to live and to work and to travel in tons, dozens and dozens of countries around the world. And I'll say that the normative American experience isn't even the same as the Nepalese experience, for example, or the Indian experience or the East African experience. And so I think that we, I say all of that to say that I think that we need to learn to hold these things a little bit more loosely and um, to the point that I, I, I just believe that the question of whether or not someone is on a good journey should not be determined by, you know, whether or not like we say, oh, okay, they're, they're a baby Christian. And so now they're going to go through the ABCs and they're going to get baptized. But actually to say, is this person moving forward? And whether they're moving forward by a half an inch or whether they're moving, and by moving forward, I mean moving forward to becoming more like Christ, to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Are they moving forward somehow? And 
my journey is not their journey and, and my story is not their story. And even understanding that before people come to Christ, that they are still on a journey and it could be a journey towards salvation, right? So if we, if we believe in our theology that along a path that there is a moment in time, there's a mile marker where in this person's life journey, they encountered Christ, they surrendered. You know, we have in our minds, our Western minds really majored on the thought that there is a moment of salvation, right? In the last hundred years, we've really pushed altar calls and sinners prayers because it's helpful in our constructs and in the way that we think it's helpful for us to think that there's like what they were going to hell five minutes ago and now they're going to heaven. Like that's helpful for us. Mm -hmm. And, and that's probably true, like in most cases, but do we not believe that that person had been on a journey that the Lord was involved with all the way up to that point and beyond that point, you know, take the disciples, for example, take Andrew and Bartholomew and Peter and James and John, like all of them, like the Lord had chosen them. Romans says, just like he had chosen us and he had ordained their lives and he had called them to himself and he had like drawn us and, and justified us. So if someone is behaving in a way that, freaks me out in my American Christian worldview, right? Like they say they love Jesus and yet they also espouse maybe certain social things that Christians are like, no way, anti-biblical, things that like short circuit our minds that we say could not (laughs) possibly be possible. And maybe we're right. That's okay. And can I like, can I take a deep breath and say that this person is on a journey that doesn't look like mine? And they have, they have encountered God in a way that I did not. Is it possible, though, that they're still moving forward at a pace that's different than mine um, toward the Lord and that the Lord can handle whatever things might be off um, in, their, in their mindset or in their beliefs? Does that make sense? That totally does. And I, I appreciate that because I think it's so easy for me, even, even in people, if I'm being honest, you're people I work with, people I go to church with, even like people who are following Jesus pretty actively for me to see their life sometimes. And if I'm, if I'm not careful, say, what the heck are they doing? Right? Like they shouldn't be doing that. Or why are they acting like that? And I have to pause consistently and say, God, will you allow me to just trust that you are working in their lives, mm-hmm. that my timeline and my timetable does not look like yours, um, that you are infinitely um, able and powerful and, and doing so much more than I can see on the surface mm-hmm. and just trusting that process in someone else because there's other ways that they look a lot more like Jesus than I do probably. That's and so, so good. I need to uh, learn how to let go of how I think that ought to look in a specific moment. Um, because it's so much more deeper than just behavior too. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of Brennan Manning and the author and speaker, and he's he's uh, no longer with us, but um, he, I think, does such an incredible job of describing people kind of like himself. You know, he was a failed Catholic priest. He would say he wrestled with alcoholism almost his entire life. Things that, things that are hard to explain, right? Because at the same time that he was wrestling with alcoholism, he was also helping people like me fall in love with Jesus in new ways. Mm-hmm. And it's paradoxical. And it doesn't fit into my Christian worldview. Um, but 
there are like the image of God and the beauty and the goodness of God and the grace of God is so vast that, you know, I'll say this, I find that most of the time when, when we get defensive or we bristle at uh, somebody whose behavior or beliefs doesn't like match what we think they should be many times, like our, our bristling at that is because there is a cultural construct that, that like a cultural box that they're not fitting in that we feel is unjust or if not fair, it's hard for us to comprehend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I don't know, it seems to me Jesus's example to us was a lot more of sitting in the gray than we, we like to, to think through. He definitely held on and he had certain things that he was um, black and white about, but he was able to enter into gray space with people mm-hmm. um, and, and love them and see them and value them. Even, even though it wasn't uh, what we thought they should be doing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sitting with sinners and tax collectors and, and that sort of thing. So Absolutely. he often, if I'm, if I'm uh, open enough and I kind of can read with fresh eyes, he can make me uncomfortable because of my own culture context. And I'm like, well, I'm not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus's example is, is exactly that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that, so. what you just said, I, I even just feel like my heart kind of exploding a little bit because that connects so deeply with the calling that I feel in ministry. And what I'm really passionate about is that even with rejects or people who, uh, you know, don't fit that I, I am able just to sit and I, I started learning this when I was living in El Salvador and um, we would drive back to our house from the office every night. And um, every night we would drive past a a group of five or six uh, transgender prostitutes. And, you know, I'm like this little, you know, church boy. Right. And, and I'm like, this is, it's, it's so um, like salacious and it's so like, Oh my gosh, like I, you know, and, after a couple of weeks, um, El Salvador in the wintertime actually does get cold at elevation. And we would see them standing out there without a lot of clothes on. And uh, we started just bringing them coffee. And that caused like such a ruckus in missionary circles because we didn't give them coffee and a gospel tract. We just gave them coffee. And like, that was it. Um, And, you know, that was the first time for me that I, was even willing, and I'm ashamed to say this, willing to walk up to someone who was so quote unquote other than me and and just be with them and look them in their eyes and hand them a cup of coffee and demonstrate love. And that, you know, um, there was a time living in East Africa when there was an old old woman who had been accused of being a witch and uh, we heard that she was starving to death and had been left to die. So my wife and I went and we didn't speak her language, but we just sat with her outside of her mud hut. We brought her some food and she began to weep. And um, we had a translator there with us who, who shared that uh, the woman in her weeping had was so grateful for the food because she had been eating grass with her goats, uh, literally had nothing and was at death's door. Even her son had abandoned her because they had accused her of being a witch. And and we spent half a day just sitting, just like sitting in the dirt mm. outside of this woman's home and just being with her, not really able to say much, but 
I think that I share that story because I love that phrase, just sitting in the dirt. And I think that our calling as Christians to just sit in the dirt with sinners, sit in the dirt with people who are hurting, sit in the dirt with people who are wounded and not be afraid of what they need or what they believe or, or whatever, who they are um, or their sin, just sit in the dirt with them and just be okay being with people. Absolutely. Uh, just a quick, quick question from, you know, you shared that first story and you said, we just gave them coffee and not coffee and a gospel track. Um, and I, and I love that you said that. Would you kind of share with us a little bit why that was the right choice in that moment? You know, mm-hmm. where other missionaries were kind of like, why wouldn't you give them a gospel track too? Why, why in that moment do you think that just coffee was the right answer? You know, I, I would say first, thinking of Ecclesiastes 3, I think there is a season for everything under the sun. There's a time and a place for everything. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest gifts that we can give people is the truth of the Word of God because it's the love of God. So I'm, I'm certainly not against that. But I think understanding that some plant and some water and some harvest and that Many times, again, in the last hundred years of our Christian culture, especially in America, we have built up this anxiety that we need to get to that harvest as quick as possible. That, you know, we have got to get people to repeat a sinner's prayer as soon as possible because who knows if they're going to die tonight or who knows, you know, when the Lord is going to return. And so we think, gosh, I've just got, I've just got all this pent up anxiety because I can't just give somebody coffee and demonstrate love because. I mean, what if they die tonight and this is their only chance to hear the truth? And there are a few ways that I would maybe want to counter that argument, but a few I would just say, you know, first of all, that that person's eternity and their salvation, while I am called to play a role, certainly, like they are a child of God. And the Lord is pursuing their hearts much more fiercely even than I am. And so I can, I can just take a deep breath and relax for a minute and say, it is not my job to get this person to recite a prayer as soon as possible. And I would also say that Jesus himself said that a cup of cold water, like given in my name, when you give a cup of cold water to one of these in my name, mm. like it's good work. And I think that um, offering people relief and offering people love honors God and it, yeah. it honors the love of God and the dignity of a human being um, that work honors the Lord. And so I think if, you know, if I had been in a position to really develop a deep relationship with them, um, of course, a time would come when it was appropriate for me to share the truth of Jesus. But we, we just get so anxious that I think we, we freak out uh, about just giving a cup of coffee and not including the track. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, I think that's very helpful for us as we think about that idea. You also mentioned this idea of sitting in the dirt and you even use the phrase, I I believe something about um, as Christians, we're almost, we're called to do that with people, right? This idea of sitting in the dirt. So for the, for the person who maybe is not a pastor, but they're, um, you know, they're a Christian, they're following Jesus. They have friends, they have family members who are all on their own journey too. um, And they have lots of opportunities to sit in the dirt with people. Um, how do we grow in that ability? Because my go-to if I'm not in a healthy place and I'm uncomfortable with myself is to just try to fix. I'm a fixer. How, do, how can I make you feel better, fix it? Um, and that's not always what we need to do. Sometimes we just need to sit in the dirt. So how do, how do I grow in, in being able to do that? That's really good. You know, 
you you can't sit with someone through something when you haven't allowed someone to sit with you. Mm. And I think the first most important thing is just to recognize our own need. Like every every single one of us has been marked by tragedy and we've all been marked by darkness in some way, by the fallenness of the world, by our sin, by other people's sins against us. All of us wrestle with insecurity. All of us wrestle with fears and pain and tragedy, right? And so recognizing first that I need someone to sit in the dirt with me and I have got to to allow my heart to be open. Otherwise, we're just totally pharisaical. And, and all you can do is fix because you there's like this really intense, like anxious energy that you get when you sit with someone in their dirt because you've never experienced someone sitting in your dirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and so that's the first thing I would say is um, if you've never done it, you know, allowing a safe person, doesn't have to be a counselor or a pastor, but allowing a safe person to sit in your dirt with you and to be with you in the reality of the brokenness that's touched your life um, is a good place to start. And then I, I would just say, just remember, and you you touched on it, even as a counselor, I don't fix people. Like that's mm-hmm. not my role. Yeah. My role is to walk with people into the wilderness of their soul. And we will go to places where it is burned and the forest is charred. And we'll talk about why it is. And we'll ask what Jesus is saying and what he's doing. But it's not my job to try to come up with some therapeutic solution to their pain. My role is to be with them in their pain. And, um, you know, I'll give you just a little nugget uh, about something called psychodynamics. And it's just really powerful a tool that we use in counseling, but it's not just for counselors. You don't have to have a degree to use it. But God has given us within our brains these really powerful cells called mirror neurons. And basically what it, the way that they function, the way that they behave is we are programmed from birth. These mirror neurons are programmed to behave according to the way that we absorb the presence and the behavior of the people around us. For example, a child, maybe a baby who is nursing, will look up into his mother's eyes and he will sense her calmness. Those neurons will actually create neural pathways saying this is calm and this is good and I am loved. And so then for the rest of that person's life, those neural pathways are going to be functioning saying this is calm and I'm good and I'm loved. So I'm saying that to say if if you are sitting with someone and you're just sitting in the dirt with them and they are in that, that space of the trauma that they experienced or the thing that they're wrestling with. And if they just experience your kindness and if they just experience the goodness of your love for them, even if you don't have the right answer, their brain will literally, because of those mirror neurons, take your kindness and your goodness and the peace and the love that is in your eyes and rewire their brain to say, you know what, even though this trauma, this abuse from my past tells me that I'm unlovable and that nobody loves me, I'm wired physically to think that. Like my brain is now rewiring itself to say, 
perhaps I am worthy of love. Perhaps I, I am acceptable just because of the kind presence of another person. It can literally change someone's brain. So I would just offer that. I think it's a spiritual and a physical concept. It's, it's something beautiful about the way the Lord wired us. And it doesn't take any work or wisdom or expertise. It just takes kindness. Wow, that is really cool. Thank you for sharing that. Our last question that I kind of want to ask you, and it's more of just uh, asking if you would kind of speak to a specific audience. For those that maybe are listening, um, that are in a place where they would say, I am sitting in the dirt um, and I'm feeling alone or I'm feeling unworthy, um, life and uh, just their experience is is not matching up with what they thought uh, who God was, and and they're just having a moment that is is really difficult. What would you what would you want to say to them? I would say don't hide that moment, and I would say that I apologize that you may sense pressure from within the community of Christians, of believers to be more perfect than you're feeling like you are right now mm. and acknowledging and giving space and, and oxygen to what you're feeling is, is right. So the, the way out of maybe the funk that you feel like you're in is it, the way out is through it. And that starts by just naming it and, and being willing to sit with it and understand why you feel that. And then invite Jesus to work within that, not to try to let, like get you to escape from it and just not mm. feel it anymore, but actually in the feeling, invite Jesus to feel it with you and, and to guide you out the other side of that valley of the shadow of death. But mm. don't try Thank to just run so away. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeremy. This was such a pleasure. Um, we just really appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us today. Oh, thank you. It's been an honor to be here. I appreciate it very much. Wow, that conversation with Jeremy was such an encouragement to me, and I pray that it was for you as well. If you need anything from us, don't hesitate to reach out to podcast at pureheart.org and be sure to share this episode with somebody who maybe it might encourage or um, kind of help them in their faith journey as they walk alongside others. Hope you have a great week, family. 